0: Welcome to Ideas Into Reality, a podcast to inspire everyone to take action to turn their ideas into reality, no matter what experience they have, where they live, or who they think they are right now. Each week, we introduce you to a founder that has taken their tiny flicker of an idea and done what it takes to bring it to reality. We also take a few minutes to dig into the how of some of the key lessons those founders have learned on their journey so that you can feel more confident in what to actually do as you start to take action on your idea. Ideas into Reality is hosted and produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba. So we'll be talking to founders from our local community here in regional Queensland, as well as some of the interesting folk that we have met during our travels around the globe powerhouse go-getter and incredibly resilient these are the words that come to mind when I think of today's guest Kylie Martin is the founder of GF Oats Australia a Toowoomba-based company that imports gluten-free oats and creates a range of products that are sold around Australia and New Zealand including my favourites a biscuit crumble and a gluten-free dairy-free chocolate chip biscuit Kylie joins me today to chat about her journey of turning her idea into reality. If this isn't your first episode, by now you would know that Ideas Into Reality is produced by the team behind Canvas Coworking and we love to work with startups and entrepreneurs and share their stories via this podcast. What you may not know though, is that we also have members of our community that are not on a journey to take their idea into reality. Our co-workers, who are working remotely for a company or organisation that doesn't have an office here in town. Many people have recently had the opportunity to try out working from home due to the coronavirus pandemic. And not everyone has found it as wonderful as they thought it might have been. As we provide the physical space for people to work, we consider it an office away from home having a reason to get up, shower, put pants on and interact with other adults is actually a good thing for most of us. In addition to the desks, chairs, fast Wi-Fi and coffee, our co-workers get access to each other, something they cannot get working from home alone. Also, there are way fewer distractions here, though if by mid-morning you really would prefer to unpack a dishwasher instead of responding to an email, then by all means, go ahead. If you know someone who could benefit from having a place to go to get their work done, be sure to let them know that there's a co-working space available in downtown Toowoomba and they are most welcome to come and join us, as are you. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Kylie. I'm looking forward to hearing your story because I know certain bits of it but I'm sure there's so much that I don't know. So let's just start off with you just telling us who you are and, and what is
1: GF Oats? Thanks, Joy. So I am the founding director of GF Oats Australia. We are the number one producers of gluten-free oats here in Australia. GF stands for gloriously free because there's a labelling law in Australia that prevents us from calling our product gluten-free at this time in the world. So you import your oats at the moment
0: and then package them and sell them wholesale and retail?
1: Yes, so our farmers currently are based in the USA. So when we, when I first looked at this product, I thought, well, wouldn't this be a wonderful thing to start here in Australia? But, of course, it's supply and demand. So we bring it in, we package it into retail packages, bulk And we send it all around Australia and New Zealand. And we also have created some additional products uh, that you'll see in our our online shop. So we have mueslis and we have biscuits and we have soap. So the range is starting to expand. Awesome. So I'm
0: going to ask what was going on in your life when you thought, I'm going to import oats?
1: Yeah, so... I had a gluten-free flour blend, well, three blends on the market, and I sold them predominantly into health food shops and online. So that was around about, I started that business in 2000, which were the days when we used to subscribe to like four hours of internet a day and think that that was a lot. But we used to process orders manually and um, I did that for a few years. And then around about 2007, because I had quite a good online store at the time, because not many stores were online. And uh, I had customers who were travelling overseas and coming back and reached out to me and said, have you heard of gluten-free oats? So I started to do some research and found the company that I'm working with now. We're a family of celiacs. And I got some product over here. I did my due diligence And uh, I guess my motto, and I'll probably put it on my gravestone, is let's just have a crack. Let's just see. I think that this might work. And um, I was going to take Australia by storm with a brand new ingredient.
0: So going into business wasn't new for you then,
1: but obviously it was a new
0: ingredient and and. maybe a different audience as well, like expanding your audience from what you already had with your flower products. But when you got that idea and you found someone who could supply it, what what did you do next to actually make it start to evolve as, as a business in its own right?
1: So I bought in the one pallet of, uh, of the oats and it was packaged in the American packaging, was which I wasn't a fan of. But I just thought, well, let's bring it in and see how the what the feedback is, because I thought really, this one palette was going to be a trial to see whether people were interested, whether they'd buy it, and in hindsight now what the what sort of pushback I'd get. At the time, the gluten free industry was really focused around celiacs so we didn't see a lot of people who had just chosen to take on a gluten-free diet just because it made them feel better so more of the intolerance side of it that was an emerging market and the figures in the stats showed me that it was only going to grow and I knew from my own family's experience because we were all eating gluten-free at the time that it was possibly going to be a winner, but the pallet barely hit Australian short stores when I shores when I found out that there was a sub clause in the food labelling standards that is now out. It's still there, but it's outdated. That wasn't going to allow us to call our oats gluten free. So this was a big hurdle, and I just. I didn't quite know what to do about that. So I just kept going, promoted the product online. We used to send out uh, newsletters and flyers at the time. And gradually after about 12 months, we sold that palette. And then I really, it was just such a beautiful product. And I still had that vision that if we just went slowly, it was going to be a slow burn. It, I wasn't going to take Australia by storm like I originally thought. So I thought let's just keep going and have a play around with the labelling. We bought it in in bulk, the biggest packaging we could get from America just in pallets at that time. And then we started to down pack it ourselves into smaller quantities And once again, we sold it online for the first three years really because no stores would have it because we couldn't label it gluten-free.
0: Wow. So with the flour that you'd been selling beforehand, were you also importing and downpacking that or were you
1: able to to get it as you needed it? So we had a formula that I had created just in my kitchen and a company in Brisbane uh, were... They were buying in all the ingredients and most of those ingredients were sourced from overseas because we also avoided corn and soy because it's all genetically modified and we also had to avoid as a family dairy. So these were three flour blends that I created a cookbook to go with. So if you wanted to make a bread, a muffin, a scone, very think CWA type cooking, very day-to-day being able to just knock something up for young children. So we would just rely on the uh, company in Brisbane to import the product or source the, the ingredients and mix and blend them. And they would come to me uh, sized up into whatever sizes I had requested on the spec sheet. So the actual importing
0: of product then was probably new for you to do direct? very. Yeah. Yes, and yes. obviously so, the down packing as well.
1: Yeah. So when we started the company in America, were just were just export ready. So they had a broker, so that actually made that process a lot easier for us. Uh, that broker only worked with them for a couple of years, and then they took over the whole procedure because they wanted to actually work with their customers directly. And now we do everything once it leaves the farm in the US. We manage everything from there on. But to start with, having a broker was great because we just had to worry about getting it off the port in Brisbane and to Toowoomba.
0: So I imagine other than the labelling, which obviously came as a bit of a shock at that time, there's probably been a few other bumps in the road along the way of actually starting you said it started slowly and and you didn't take it by storm but obviously you did you are selling um, and you're continuing so obviously you've been able to work through a lot of those but what's it actually been like on that journey of going okay we've got this product that's quite unique we can't call it what it is shops don't want to sell it for us what's that
1: journey been like for us we well for me because I was running the business on my own for for many years that it was just about always thinking about. Well, I my one of my favourite children's books is Going on a Bear Hunt, and the analogy is: well, you can't go over it, you can't go under it. We'll just have to go through it. And I guess that's a little bit of my motto: like have a crack. So, okay, the shops won't sell it. So, what are we going to do? How are we going to brand it? How are we going to communicate? So, we started playing around with ideas for labelling and a couple of times I ended up in Queensland Health with complaints about what I was communicating Uh, so I was trying to just be creative Joy and just try different (laughs) words and different claims and uh, anyway so Finally, around about 2015, I had what I call my ultimate Xiaomi open idea and I thought let's call it gloriously free because I could see the traction happening within stores. So one of the things that we did was because distributors didn't know, reps didn't know how to communicate the brand and the wording, like I'd create sheets that they could just, regurgitate the words we decided to just get on the phones and we I call it a reverse marketing strategy so I'd get on the phones to the store all these stores that have a big list and I'd go hi I'm Kylie from Geofoats Australia I'm just updating my store locator list on my website and I'm wondering if you sell the Geofoats brand and at the time there was a packet with a label on it because we were too scared to print any packaging that we'd get called in again and told we had to change our packaging. So we just had stickers on Packers. And they'd say, oh, that's the blue one. And and I'd say, yes, that's the blue one because the opposition had a red label. So at that point, I realised when we rebranded, we need to be blue. So when the shop would say because we weren't going in we were we were more like a warm sales call so yes they wanted to be on our website that's great do you want more information do you want samples so we lots and lots of samples were our strategy in the beginning that we'd give away and if they said no we'd go oh oh really you don't have them you haven't heard of them and then we'd start down there well would it be something you're interested in and we'd have a information pack we could sell them and then we would we'd have all the distributors lined up wherever we had them and um, we said oh well yes Sydney knows so we'll tell them so I'd tell Sydney to get onto that store and make sure they got some stock so it was it was hard work but it actually was really successful uh, and so that was one of the ways we got around those problems and all of a sudden we started to create demand we repackaging into modern type packaging once we laid down that gf oats we got a new logo they looked really smart we understood our customer was prepared to pay something of a premium for our product so that was how what our specs were when we worked with the designer we said well this is the royals voice of oats so It's got to look nice. It's got to feel nice. It's got to look like the consumer's buying something of quality. So we went to a lot of effort over that time
0: to really get
1: to know our customer.
0: Yeah. Did you engage, obviously you had distributors, but when it comes to like branding and packaging, did you engage someone to help you in that process or was it just a lot of your own
1: thoughts and effort and, and work to do that? Well, it's it's a combination of both. So I used the knowledge that I gathered from all these phone calls that I'd made and by just doing, the, doing business for a while and talking to a lot of consumers because um, back then a lot of phone calls, a lot of orders were taken over the phone. So um, we were able to really get to know our customers well which I think is a little bit difficult these days. I always feel a little bit removed. But I went to a presentation in Brisbane and a branding expert packaging designer was the key speaker and I loved her so much. I just said, Renee... From Evolve Brand, you've got to work work for me. She's the gal who can get me on the straight and narrow, and we're still working together ten years down the track. So awesome. she did some branding for me with the my brand was Brighter Life, wheat free foods. So she did that for me, and uh, she's an expert in that area of packaging design and taking taking a product and being able to put it onto a shelf is really a lot of science behind it because you think about it when you go shopping, there's just packets and packets and everybody else in that category had brown packaging or clear packaging where you could see the oats through it. And even today that's true. So I look in IGAs and I'll take a photo and our brand will pop off the shelf as everyone's chosen to go more natural and earthy and craft paper type bags. We wanted to show out. We wanted to stand out a little bit more. So people would see it GF oats and think twice. Oh, what does that mean? Mm, that's right. And I mean,
0: yeah, it's a common thing to see on a menu or something it written as GF. and you know GF means gluten- free. You know that, and obviously if you are celiac you probably read the thing on the back and investigate it a little bit more but yes. if you if it's just a preference or you know a slight intolerance or something you probably go hmm close enough so that's
1: that's yeah. right yeah and when you turn over our stories on the back of it we we had we had a clause in there cuz i was very conscious and always have been very sensitive about celiacs cuz celiac is actually in my family so I actually put a warning there and I'd say go to the society, do whatever they tell you to do, because it really became evident to me that the celiac market wasn't really the market that was my target. It was more the intolerance market, which was what which was what we were. Uh, so yeah, it's it's been a tricky, tricky one to communicate, but being able to then trademark that gf logo because acronyms are an unusual funny thing because yes if you're gluten-free you know gf can be an acronym for gluten-free but it actually can be an acronym for a lot of different things now that we're texting and all that sort of thing so hey it's my girlfriend's oats (laughs) that's right yeah so that actually was one of the things i said when i had a bit of a dispute because I had a big uh, was there was a complaint made to the advertising bureau of australia and that was the one of the things that i said to them is is that if people aren't gluten free they don't know that what gf means in this case it looks gloriously free it's actually on the logo so and and i refer to the name of the brand all the time so it's Look, it's walking the line, but there's one in 20 people who are actually in gluten intolerant and one in 100 people that are actually diagnosed celiac. So You've still got plenty I, of market. I still had plenty of market and I knew by the feedback that people were giving me that I was onto something. And really when I looked at all the other gluten-free products on the market, and remember I had a product on the market as well, Everything was full of corn and soy and sugar. And I knew that was going to down the track, cause people lots of health problems. And the celiacs have a really booming problem with diabetes because anything that you can get as a wheat eater now, you can now get gluten-free. Gluten free donuts, there's an example, you know, anything. So, when we first started, it was good because it, you'd have to sort of get off all the junk food, but now you can eat whatever you want. But it's the ingredients are not good because they need to make it taste good. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> if you take,
0: of... take out the, yep,
1: yeah, no. yeah.
0: So, I'm just going to go a little bit more having to face up to Queensland health or the the advertising commission or, or whatever they're called how did you handle that like i imagine emotionally it would have been super challenging the constant barrage of people complaining or or, or questioning even um yeah. and having to feel like you're always explaining yourself as a as a person emotionally how did you get through that
1: it it really had moments where it took its toll, and I think um, fortunately, uh, Gary, my partner, came into the business around about year five. And and mind you, all the while while we were doing this, we had second jobs, so we this was a side hustle because I knew that it was going to be a slow burn. But he took over the the talking to distributors so his strength was relationships and and buying and doing deals and I took on all the marketing and growth and and all of that side of the business but round about 2015 I think that I was ready to give up about that time and everything I just had this inner fear of when a customer called, you know, oh, God, what's going to be wrong now? You know, I just all I could focus on was the problems because it had just been so intense. We'd had a moment in Queensland Health which was really rattled me. They had, it was like I'd committed a crime. They had an extra person in there. They were audioing the whole thing. It was really intense and, um, and it was, it was I, I had taken it personally because it had, was a local company who had been the instigator of us going in there, so a local competitor. So I, I'd taken that personally and I really thought, well, if I'm going to go continue to go on and, and I do a lot of reading and listening to audible books and I thought I really have to do some mindset work here. And I guess around that time, it was really starting to get uh, promoting mindset and attitude, and and really how I could work on me and my reactions and responses to things. So I, for me, I linked in with a program called Thinking into Results, but which is led by Bob Proctor and Proctor Gallagher Institute. Anyway, Sandy Gallagher, sorry, and uh, and I went through their program, and I'm still part of that mentoring group today all about you know i guess what you think of what you think of you attract all that stuff we know about mindset and really that changed that changed my whole view on things cuz i stopped taking things personally i just went right i'm recalibrated now i'll get on with it and i focus on what i really wanted to do and what i really wanted to do was to be able to uh, be able to stand strong and grow this business far enough that I could attract Australian growers to start growing gluten-free oats here in Australia. So that was really my uh, became my driving why. Yeah. So that was a big change.
0: Yep. And. It is. And I know we talk about it a lot more now, but it probably only has been the last three or four years that the whole mindset piece. Yeah. And I guess the, um, it's not permission, that's not the right word, but where it's acceptable to talk about the fact that things are hard, mentally Yeah, hard, um, Yeah,
1: that's right. And also when you're in business, there are so many skills you have to learn. Like I tell the story that, you know, i I was the ultimate extrovert, flitting around, doing the PR stuff in any businesses that we're in. I was an ex-school teacher and I never paid a bill. And now I pay tens of thousands of dollars every week and I'm managing costings and all of that sort of thing. So that didn't come naturally to me. I had to learn all of that. And I, you know, I I had to learn to have confidence then in myself, confidence in the product, because you've got to pick up a phone and you've got to make a phone call to a buyer you don't know. The first thought that comes into your mind is, well, what if they say no? Well, it doesn't matter if they say no. And what we found is that they say no now, but in 12 months time, they go, oh, my God, you're still here okay, send me the information, send me some samples, you know. One of the big buyers in the country said, oats will never be gluten-free, I want nothing to do with it. And as of this year, he's a competitor. So he's oh. importing stock from Canada. So every year I went back to him and said, are you ready yet? Are you ready yet? And uh, now he's just doing it himself, himself, which made me growl at him, but that's Okay. <laughs> Yeah, although must be doing something right. Exactly, that's right.
0: (laughs) Yes, definitely. If someone's going to imitate you, they they obviously yeah
1: have um, yeah. And the other the other thing along the road is, is that um, if things fail, I think you've got to be you've got to come to a decision along your journey that if things fail, that's okay. It doesn't reflect on you. So I, I have a mantra now of a, let's just have a crack, but if it's going to fail, let's make it fail fast and move on to the next thing. Yep. And we, we measure it. There's only just today I've had conversations with the staff and, um, you know, they said, oh, should we do it this way and should we do it that way? And I went, well, just try one thing and let's have a chat about it in a fortnight and see whether it worked. I don't know whether it's going to work. <laughs> I don't have the answers to everything, sorry. But let's test and measure it. That's right. I'm not yeah. going to sack you if it doesn't
0: work. That's We're right. We're giving it a crack. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So as well as all the challenging things, I imagine there's some moments that you've gone through where you're particularly proud of of what you've accomplished and and, you know, what has happened along that journey. So
1: tell us about a few of those things that you're really proud of. I'm proud that I took the risk really because along the way there's many times where you have to go, okay, are we ready to buy two pallets now? Are we ready to buy four pallets? You know, it's. I think that I've been really proud of the fact that we keep learning, we keep looking at the challenges and going, well... Let's learn how to do that. And if, and then there's that bit of giving things away. So when you get so busy, then you have to employ somebody to help you in the office. So all of a sudden, you know, you've got to give up that control or that job. And you know it off by heart, back to front, upside down, everything. And I think that our personal development along the way has been one of the things I'm really proud of, that we just haven't given up because we kept focusing on that big story. And by no means, no means at all has it been perfect, you know. We've made lots of mistakes along the way. But we just sort of dust ourselves off and we go, okay, who can help us next? What's the next join the dots? You know, what's the next step that we take? Who's the next person who can help us? And uh, that's, I guess, the big one. We, we, we also, um, I was really proud of the fact that I took the risk to go over to America and meet the growers. And I, at that point, the big, the big risk for us, so when you do your, your business plan, what are all the weaknesses? The big weakness was that we didn't have an agreement in place So we wanted to be the sole importer. So that was my sole purpose of that trip. And um, we got that in place, which enabled us then to go forward and be confident sharing our brand and communicating it, knowing that we had a constant supply and that the grower wouldn't take the first person, you know, another person who came along who wanted to import their product, and that would then be a competition for our product. Here. So, um, being able to bring my children in, get them to help, that's, I think they won't agree with me, but I think that that's stood them in great stead as they've moved forward uh, because I know from they've got jobs, um, because they've been able to have common sense and they work well, and, and we've been able to instill those values in them. So, um, I'm really proud of that. And
0: that's definitely then, something to be proud of. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I know as well, you've got lots of things on the horizon. So Australian Growers, definitely one of them. And, yeah. and you've gone through over the last few years in developing the biscuits and, and looking at other products. But what's sort of driving you now to a next stage? Like what is that next stage for you and, and what's motivating you to keep pushing
1: forward? Uh, the adding on additional products is really sight, exciting for me. I love the R&D and I love to see where that where that next product goes. So just to go back one step, the, the Anzac biscuits were particularly dear to my heart uh, and they were my recipe, which has been able to take it commercially, but then to be able to get it approved by Veterans Affairs then have a beautiful collaboration with legacy it's just like it's all exciting it's new over again when people go I love your product you know it's just and we can do lots of different things with that product so we can have it as a retail pack a food service pack snack pack so one of the things when you're in business people talk about multiple streams of income And I always thought that meant, oh, I have to do oats, I have to do another business and I have to go and work. But I actually pulled it back into my business and I went, okay, I've got distributors, I've got wholesalers. Now I want to reach out into food service. So let's create a product that they will want. Let's go with something that we can sell to convenience. Oh, now pharmacies are taking on products. So let's develop a product. So I did the quick oats for them. In a bit of a different type of packaging, the nice yellow brand. So if they just took one packet, it it'd shine on the shelf and pop out. It's a little bit smaller in its 450 grams. So that's that's really cool to do that sort of thing. We were lucky enough to do the food and boot camp with you last year. So and we're also super lucky to have some. Uh, consultants here uh, darling fresh to work with to help make that into reality because one of the challenges is when you are creating a product you've got to source every single ingredient you've got to find somewhere to mix it somewhere to cook it somewhere to process it it's so much work so to be able to, this is the first time I've really been able to get some great help to develop a product. So it's going to come to life a lot faster than what I want. Uh, also, we've laid out doing uh, the oat milk, which is oat milk surreal, you know, it's going gang up gangbusters at the moment. And also because our product's always been dairy-free, we're able to just tweak the ingredients slightly using a, rice syrup and now we've been able to open up our product and provide lots of solutions to vegans so uh the australian oats should have been here uh this year but we've put it off till next year obvious reasons but that's going to create a big opportunity for us to go uh and export so there's we've got a lot of um interest and companies who have we've also we've vetted through austrade already and they're just sitting there waiting for the australian oats but interestingly enough i will not be able to get that product cheaper than what i can import the oats from america and get them landed here for so that's disappointing but not surprising to me but instead of once again, you know, I said to the farmer, well, let's let's look at it in a different way. Let's just put it out into the export market and find other ways that we can make sure he gets what he needs as a farmer, his dollar per kilo, and we can get something and then we can get it out into the, the network. So we're looking at different ways that we can achieve that. So Uh, once again I don't know that that's going to be as easy as I thought it would be but but it's it's an exciting um it's an exciting project to happen and I just wish it'd go faster
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome but you're doing great things and and we love every time we catch up with you it's like we're working on this we're working on this um and and how things are progressing and the the rate at which they are progressing, which is, is really, really good. And yes, having you as part of our food and ag camp last year, it was really, I think, interesting for me to see, uh, and I know this sounds wrong, but to see the way your brain works and, and how thoughtful you are about things before you do take a step. But then once you've made that decision, you're, you're in, like you're, you're really there. So, um, yeah. It's That's the hardest part
1: for me is to take the step because I know once I start, I'm extremely irritated if I don't finish it. So I just, I have to have it laid out. I have to have a plan. So last year we knew we needed a new website, but I just couldn't do it because I didn't have a plan. So we got a branding grant and we worked with the local lady to get all that mapped out and then I went, okay, now I know what I'm going to do, you know, and then we went to get the new website, which was fantastic because we knew we wanted to test, we wanted to use the bar, the website really to test different products. So we'd test a product, like we're testing oat soap at the moment and and biscuit crumble, which I know is a favourite of yours. It is a favourite of mine. <laughs> so we it out for about six months and go, do people actually want this? You know, what are are we communicating? How do we get the message out about this product? And then if it works, we'll take it to market. Our mueslis didn't work. So I did it the other way. I took them to market. And because I wasn't making them in big enough batches, I couldn't really get them out there cheap enough. Because remember, by the time you as a consumer buy something on the shelf, there's three or four fingers in the pie before it gets there so I might only get five dollars for the packet but it might be on sale for 13 so I that didn't work but I had the packaging I had the recipe customers still really wanted it so now I just make it an exclusive online only product so because I have the shop I can just pack it on demand and I don't have to stress about packing things and them running out of date, I can just do small runs within endeavour. So um, yeah, and it value adds for our consumers. So when they go onto the site and just see oats, they can see some other things as well that might also suit them.
0: Hmm. Yeah, oh, that's great. Now, I know that you talk to a lot of people, and I imagine that there's probably a lot of people who look at you and go, wow, you're doing some awesome stuff. you you must know so much and they come to you and say, hey, Kylie, I've got this idea for something that I want to do. What do you want them to know before they begin their journey of taking their
1: idea to reality? Uh, Well, the number one thing is that they need to know why, because right at the beginning, that was the thing that kept me going. I knew why I wanted to leave a legacy. If you don't have a why, if you just needing something to do like a job because you don't want to go to back to work you're creating yourself a job i think that's the wrong way to start i think you need to know your numbers i should have done that better but i was not great at that at the beginning now i love it i love getting all the numbers in there and knowing how that all works the, the other one is finding your target market why is your product going to be different to anything else so make sure you know I I see people today even say oh I just wanted to have a flower blend because there's nothing else on the market and I go really where have you done your research like just at Coles and Woolies because that's the only place you want to shop there are like skincare there are hundreds and hundreds so what is your unique offering that you are going to offer to customers? Because niching down, don't be scared about niching down. That's I think that's really important these days. So we've stayed niched only to oats. So there's my three key things I think there that people want to do. The one thing that I learned out of the boot camp last year was. Don't make assumptions. Or, I just or don't went, act on them anyway. Oh, <laughs> Test them yeah. before you act on them. Yeah. So I, that was my biggest aha moment. I went, "Oh my god!" I just create things and go. Everybody's going to love this. Why wouldn't you want to love this? And then you, I. It was clearly I just go, "Oh, nobody loves my idea." Okay, what else can I think of? When really I was making an assumption. And there's nothing to take it personally. It's just that there's not enough people in the market to make that idea viable. So, yes, when you have an assumption, recognise that's what it is and go and test it before you uh, spend a lot of money. Uh, It's not wrong to have bags and stickers on labels. People are happy with that. Don't go out and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on that sort of stuff when you need to, to test it. One of the things people look at me and I often hear people, people say, oh, you know, you're like an overnight success. But they don't know that I've been doing this since 2009. So I say, yeah, I am actually an overnight success. But everybody's journey is everybody's journey and you have to come to peace with that. I knew this was going to be a slow burn. And if you told me it was going to be 10 years, I'd go, yeah, right, I'll give up. But I just appreciate the learnings along the way. And I, lots of companies you see might take off in the first two years and I just would compare myself to everybody else and go, oh, my God, I wish I was them. And they don't even exist today, some of those. So some of the brands that I've worked with or have uh, evolved at the same time, I see them pivoting and changing all the time for the market like we had, you know. People want organic and then they want vegan and then they want something else. So know your market, listen to what your customers say because they are um, they are the thing that I've kept dear to my heart and over over the whole covid shutdown when we lost staff and i ended up back in the in the front seat driving you know um i just loved it i loved talking to all the customers again and that's my hardest thing giving that back over to somebody else now cuz i want to make are you looking after these people you know are you do are you doing what i would do so yeah yeah, that's it, and
0: and the passion that goes with it is hard to replicate when it's not your own. So, like if yes. someone comes and works for you, it's hard for them to to get that at the same level. So sometimes yeah. you find that unique person, but yes, yeah, it is it is yeah. tricky. Cool. So imagine there's people listening who are going, "I want some GF oats, or I want <laughs> they what they really want. You know, my favorite thing is the biscuit crumble, um, yeah. but also the uh, gluten free, dairy free chocolate chip." biscuits, winner on my book. Yes. Uh, so so they're really good, but they might want some oats or they might want some oat milk or they might want some soap or something else.
1: Um, how can they find you or, and your product? Our, our main website is gfoats.com.au and we've built the shop behind that so you will see the shop tabs on the site. But we've mainly, because our product needs a lot of education and support and research behind it, uh, that is the best place to go. So if they go there, they can download free ebooks. They can get to our shop and they can see all the different things that we sell on our shop. But anything that you see in our shop uh, is doesn't mean it's available in stores. So your oats will be available. And the main the customer that comes to the shop generally has seen our product before, maybe in stores. And they want to come and buy bulk. So the bulk part of our website uh, sales is our largest. But then they can try the soaps and biscuit crumble and things like that. So incidentally, the biscuit crumble, because I know it's a favourite, we're going to take that to market next year. So that has been successful. And one of the things that we one of the last innovations or the innovations we're going to bring with that one is we're going to put a scan code on that product so people will be able to download a little ebook recipe book so you will have like six recipes in there which will show you the different things that you can do with that crumble
0: Uh, do you have our our um, nutty or, or maybe you won't have nuts in it but our apple and berry crumble
1: Yes, so we do have an apple and berry crumble, okay. and uh, yeah, so six, six different ways we're going to call it with the with the biscuit crumble. So, uh, one of the eBooks have been a fantastic way of promoting. We have a code on the bottom of our main product, and people can download fifty two ways with GF Oats. But it's our key lead magnet, and people love it. We've got a big Facebook campaign now for New Zealand and Australia people downloading our winter winter ebook so uh, we have a lot of followers and instagram influencers, and and um i put out a kylie's kitchen newsletter every friday and that's just sharing recipes from all of our followers so it's not all of our ideas and then we turn those into ebooks so people can grab them and download them for free so Uh, yeah so the website's the best place we've got phone numbers we've got email addresses we've got every way that you can contact us uh on there and people can send a message through facebook pages i will answer them there um so you know we we love being authentic we love being available to people as wherever we can be nothing annoys me more of when I go to a website and there's no phone number I can't contact you so you know we need we need to be available for people and we want to be and if people
0: are listening and think you know I'd like to help in some way do you have an ask is there something that uh, a listener might be able to do for you
1: Oh, well, (laughs) um, we are, we're always looking for customers to review different products. So we've got a new product line that's going to come out from that food bootcamp. So we're always looking for people who are our target market. So if you're fitting into that gluten-free, vegan, dairy-free market, uh, reach out to me and, um, let me know if you're interested in being a reviewer and giving us some honest feedback because we don't want people who just say, oh, yeah, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really help. <laughs> no, it doesn't really help. So we, we, when, prior to releasing this new product range, we will be going out to the market for at least uh, four to five months and getting reviews back so that we, can, we know how people want it in what sizes, what packages, you know, all that type of thing, so that, Joy, we're not making assumptions.
0: Very good.
1: <laughs> so we realised when we first went out to the market and asked the questions, they sort of, because it's a really different concept, they didn't know what we meant. So we went, well, let's lay down the recipes, which we did, And now I'm just in the process of getting the costings together and we'll mix up a small batch. And then we're looking for people to review the product. Mm. So if people would like to be part of our review team, get on board and email us. We'd love that.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll have people jumping at that chance to test things. I'm going to ask one other question and it probably fits into the ask side, but I know that you are doing some really great work with Legacy at the moment and you've got some uh, biscuits, so Anzac biscuits particularly, um, that are being boxed up with the Legacy brand on them as well. And you're looking for businesses like small, medium businesses to... To be involved in that um, project, and some of the proceeds of that are going to Legacy. Do you just want to tell us a little bit about that and how people might be
1: able to get involved with that? So, one of the things that has come out of 2020 is is that companies like Legacy aren't able to fundraise in their normal way anymore, and so we they have reached out to us uh, to look at what ways we could promote their product and get, I guess, the best value for money um, to be able to give back to them. So we came up with the idea of doing a biscuit drive. So Think Girl Guides and we've reached out to schools. We've reached, we're we're just finalising the copy and the wording because we want to maintain that respectfulness to the legacy people and so... We are wanting small businesses, cafes, convenience, schools, of course, to come on board. We've set up some uh, landing pages on our website, which will be um, published probably by the time this goes to air. So they'll see a wholesaler tab. So jump on there. Uh, You can register a... Uh, To download a kit, if you're a school or a fundraising campaign of any sort, it might be a football, it might be soccer, anything at all, and you'll be able to purchase the chocolate chip and the ANZAC. So over the course of Legacy Week, ANZAC and uh, Remembrance Day, we've actually as a company doubling our amount that we give back to Legacy over that period normally we have a profit margin in there that we are giving back anyway, but we're throwing the chocolate chip in there as well because we know like you that there are those some people who they're their favourites and we just would like to give people variety. It's such it's such a great cause. It's dear to my heart. So I um, I would love everybody to jump on board to the gfoats.com.au website, go on to wholesaler and grab download the kit. And that gives you posters and directions and prices and all that sort of thing. And then you can come back and purchase what you want to sell and know that anything that you purchase, either there or on the retail site, mind you. So if you go over and purchase any of our Anzac hampers or any Anzac biscuits, a percentage of that we tally up and report and give back the percentage back to um, Legacy uh, each month. So yeah. Such a good cause. And yeah, it's, it's
0: always nice. I mean, I know you're doing lots of good things in a whole lot of ways, but it's really nice to see that as a really tangible give back, um, which is, is awesome. Wonderful. Anything else you wanted to say before we wrap up for today? I don't think so.
1: I think we've uh, covered a lot of stuff there, but like, don't the, the biggest change for me in the aha moment, I think when you're running a business, is you take that idea, you you have a big journey ahead of you and you're going to have to work harder than you've ever worked before. But think about it as, as you know, you get up every day and you're doing something that you love doing. If you don't love doing it, then you're doing the wrong thing. And you have to look at changing and You know, we hear the word pivot a lot all the time. Well, we've pivoted that many times. You know, we're ballerinas of a different sort. And I just go, well, in business, that's what you do and that's what you're prepared to do. And have a think about where you can move forward to get another form of profit. Like last year, I looked and went, we need to be helping people get our product online because the distributors, the wholesalers, all that network, so slow and very old-fashioned and frustrating and who would have known that in March we would have had all that you know panic buying but we were just positioned at the right time to be ready to go. And I don't think that that's lucky. That's because 12 months, two years ago I looked and went we need to better have we need to have a better online presence. And don't feel as though, don't get caught in your own paradigms and your own beliefs. That's, you know, lots of businesses we've seen over this time have just sat back and go, I don't need to be online. And look what's happened. This has smacked them in the face. So look at what your belief system is and really is that going to serve your business for the future and your customers because you're there to serve them. If you're not there, that's a tragedy because they might super need what you have to offer and the way you offer it. So do the work on yourself. That was my, you know, do the mindset, do the meditation, whatever it is that you come across and uh, look after yourself along the way. Great advice. Well, thank you so much
0: for joining us today. Love hearing your story and I'm sure our listeners will as well.
1: Thank you so much, Joy, for having me.
0: Our startup lesson today is on knowing your numbers. Kylie mentioned three key points that she suggests anyone with a new idea needs to know before they begin. One is why, and I totally agree with that. Another is how are you unique? Also a good point. And the other was to know your numbers. As a former career banker, numbers were my day-to-day life. While I love to get to know my clients' character, and also had to assess their collateral, the other element that I needed to know was their capacity. Do the numbers add up to show, with a buffer for uncertainty, that it's feasible to operate this business? How much will it cost to operate? How much capital is required to start? The other critical numbers were related to the capacity to earn from sales. In a new startup, it can be tempting to just get started and to work those things out later. And while you're testing assumptions, that might be the case. However, if you're going to launch, you need to know that on paper at least, that you can calculate what it will take to break even, to be profitable, and how long things can last if you're slow to start. Terms like burn rate, our cost to operate without sales, so pre-revenue expenses. Runway, how long your cash will last based on your burn rate. Profit margin. How much extra you make on the sale of each product after allowing for the costs? Customer acquisition cost. How much does it cost you to acquire a customer? Lifetime value. How much you expect to earn from a customer during their lifetime relationship with you? Other things may become necessary if you decide to raise funds to start or scale, regardless of whether you're going to attempt to raise those funds through traditional means like borrowing from a bank bootstrapping it by using your own funds, capital raising through investors or applying for grants, begging your mum or taking on a cashed up business partner. None of these options are free money. They all come with a trade of something. You need to understand how much you will need, how long that will last and what measures you need to be tracking to know if you're going to achieve your objective before you run out of money. One of the things we frequently witness is spending without consideration. On the flip side, we also see a lack of spending when it's actually necessary to be able to see the business grow. Operational expenses can often be reduced by looking for more efficient ways to manage your processes, your customer journey and your extravagance. But if you don't know what you're spending and if you've never set a budget in the beginning, it's very difficult to know where to start trimming costs. Stress caused by money worries is real. You may have felt it yourself, even when you have a day job and a regular paycheck coming in. Taking the step to start your business and leaving that secure income stream behind can escalate that stress rapidly. Knowing your numbers will not a cure-all for stress can at least help put it in perspective and allow you to look at the situation rationally. It can also help you get someone else to go through it with you and identify ways to improve the situation. And of course, when you do start making money, you want to make sure that you're meeting all your obligations, like taxation and employee benefits, as well as maintaining good relationships with your suppliers. If creating a budget is new for you, And you aren't sure where to begin, there are many online resources. However, a simple spreadsheet is a good start. Put in some columns for the months, or if you're starting with a really small bank account balance, you might even want to make that weeks. And then the rows is a list of all the things that you're going to need to pay for to do business. That could be purchasing your raw product if you're manufacturing, the cost of manufacturing. Staff costs, so wages and superannuation, insurance, marketing, accounting, repairs and maintenance, travel, the list goes on and on. From there, you want to add in rows for the things that you will earn income from, and you want to line up the data with when you're expecting that money to actually arrive. Keeping in mind that that could be several weeks after you need to deliver the product or service. If you're offering payment terms, then have a row at the top that shows the balance of your bank account at the beginning of that month or week, and a figure at the bottom that totals up all of the income, less all of the expenses. There's lots of versions of this available and business.gov.au has a good one. If you're not familiar with spreadsheets and you want something that's got all the formulas in there to help you get started. Now, when you look at those numbers, the bottom figure might be negative to begin with. But if you have that, I suggest making a couple of versions of your budget so that you also have one that will show what it would take to make the result a break-even where your income and expenses equal each other. And also a scenario where you're producing and delivering as much as possible and see what the outcome is then. Each item that you sell also needs to be reviewed for the profit margin. Making or buying something for $1 and then selling it for $0.50 is not going to be sustainable. And even making or buying something for $1 and selling it for $2 may also not be sustainable once you factor in all the other costs associated with operating your business. You'll need to look at the whole picture as well as the small pieces that make up this numerical jigsaw puzzle. If all of that is a bit overwhelming then be sure to reach out to someone who gets it and ask for some help. There's quite a few of us out here in the world that enjoy working with numbers. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's Ideas into Reality episode. And we hope that you enjoyed learning about our founder's journey and got a couple of takeaways from the lesson learned that will help end the flames of your idea. Assuming you did, be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and let your friends know too. They might just be sitting on an idea that you do not even know about yet. You can find out more about Canvas Coworking and Startup Toowoomba by visiting our websites canvascoworking.com.au and startuptoowoomba.com.au or finding us on pretty much any social media platform. My name is Joy Taylor And I'd like to thank you for joining me on this journey. And I look forward to introducing you to our next guest in our next episode.